thank you so much for bringing people here who are hungry for truth and honesty and responsibility. And what it means to love you with the heart, but also to love you with the mind. And to bring their, their intellectual best to who you are. And I ask you to bless, please, right now. We need a lot of wisdom. We need a lot of encouragement right now. Um, many of us battle depression and anxiety, and, and those, those things can just tap us out. And we need you right now. We need a lot of grace. Uh, give us insight into your word and our responsibilities in it and how we live out uh, your will. Uh, Lord, I love you, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let me read this. This is Romans 15, 7 to 13. This is from the New American Standard Translation. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's do this. I want to show you um, a core here. Notice I've got it in yellow for you. This is a core part of the, the paragraph, also called the pericope, and it has everything to do with Jews and Gentiles. It has everything to do with the, the gospel is not just for the Jews. It goes out to the Gentile world, and we are here this morning because of this right here. <laughs> when Paul took the gospel west towards Spain, it led to the gospel actually coming here. And we are Gentiles. I don't know that there's anybody here that is genetically a Jew. I know, I know there are many people who love the Jewish law code here and they love the Old Testament. But I don't think there's any, any ethnic Jews here. So we're all Gentiles. And we have been included in this thing called the gospel. And it is absolutely beautiful. Stephen, this is a core text where we get a lot of theology about worship. And that worship is a corporate thing. And in doing worship, we glorify God for his mercy. We give praise among all the people groups. We sing to his name. Look at all these, these solid theological ideas that have to do with worship. We praise God. All the Gentiles, they're included. Let all the people praise him. This has everything to do with Jews and Gentiles coming together and literally worshiping God and glorifying God. All right, makes sense. Now, what I want to do, though, is I want to drill on 7 and 13 because there, there are key things that I want you guys to get here, okay? 
So let's start with uh, verse 7. Therefore, accept one another. This is what I want you to accept. Proslambano, this is an imperative verb. This is a command. It means to accept. Uh, Randy, specifically accept at the dinner table. That's the idea here. It's not just accept in theory, a nice idea that I love people and I think we should get along with people. This has everything to do with the dinner table, particularly with the Lord's Supper as a kind of dinner table where the early church would gather, share a meal, and they would integrate the Lord's Supper uh, with that meal. Now, you remember from our walk through Romans on Sunday morning, we've got two kinds of people at the churches in Rome, the strong and the weak. And you have the weak who believe that if you drink alcohol, if you drink wine, that you're in violation of the will of God. And so there's these weak people, they're, they're considered weak in faith, and that if you consume alcohol, it is a sin, it's the violation of the human conscience. They do that very behavior in, in cultic groups like the Dionysian cult, and they consume alcohol and worship the god Baki, the Bachian cult, which is Latin for wine, the idea of the god of wine, and they get drunk and have a worship service while they're drunk. And these Christians say, uh-uh, we're not even going there. And so they develop this hard and fast rule toward wine. They did the very same thing toward meat, meat sacrificed to idols. That uh, remember you and I in our culture, we have some people here, this might be a bit new to, uh, bear with my, my recap. When you and I go shopping, we go to Kroger. And at Kroger, it's a freestanding building. It is not associated with any religious organization, right? It doesn't come from the goddess Kroger or Kroga, or the male goddess Kroger or Krogo, and whenever you buy from Kroger, you're worshiping Kroga or Krogo. That doesn't, that doesn't happen in our culture. In first century culture, that's exactly what happened. Because these little meat markets were annexes to temple cults. So the Isis cults, the Dionysian cults, all these cults, even the Israeli cult, Israel, it's a, it's a part of their, her religion, Israel's religion, is to be butchers. They were called the Levitical priests. They processed meat, right? And they would offer this meat on the altar, and then with the meat, what would, we, what would they do with the meat that wasn't exclusive to God? What would they do with it? It was to help to feed Israel. The priests would eat, and people would come and eat and celebrate the, the meat that was offered to Yahweh. Scores of religions did that. All right, and that was and that's actually true in the New Testament world. But we're not talking about meat that was offered to Yahweh, the true creator God, Elohim. We're talking about it being offered to pagan gods who oftentimes engaged in the most horrendous, immoral acts, debauchery as part of the worship service, all in around these pagan cults in, these, in the city of Rome and in the Greco-Roman world. And so when you went to the local meat shop, it was always attached to a church, or rather a temple of some sort. And if you bought that pot roast, you know, come on, you're not stupid, you know that was sacrificed to a god or goddess. And if you eat it, you're participating in the worship of a pagan deity. And so the weak in church said, no wine, we know what happens with that stuff. And no meat sacrificed to idols because we know where that went to. And, and if you eat it, you're supporting the local cult. Not going to do it. 
and they were very, very strict and ascetic and made these rules. But then you had the strong, and they said, come on, it's just meat. It's all it is. What's an idol? Nothing. Piece of gold, piece of wood. Don't worry about it. You need protein. Eat it, you know? And after all, the Old Testament is full of examples and New Testament of of followers of Yahweh, of Christians drinking wine in a celebratory controlled manner, and it's fine as long as they don't get drunk. And so the people with a strong faith said, boy, you, you guys with weak faith, you're making up rules that are unnecessary. This is problematic. And so the churches in Rome began to be divided and you've got the, the weak faith people shaming the worldliness and the lack of standards of the strong faith. And you've got the strong faith people shaming the weak faith saying, well, you're just paranoid. You're religiously paranoid. If you break a little rule, God's going to get you. You need to relax. It's a God of, he's a God of grace. So lots of tension. All right. Well, when you get to this section here, Romans 15, 7 to 13, you're getting to Paul's final comments about the strong and the weak and how they need to handle their differences. We, we dug deep in all of this. And he's telling them, he's telling them, this is the main thing. I'm going to repeat it again. Pras lambano. Accept each other. Accept. Okay. Now here's what's hard because it kind of gets at a visceral core in who we are. People you disagree with, you tend to not want to have fellowship with. Right? Like if, if I said right now, I think Donald Trump is the best thing that happened to the United States of America, and finally somebody with a spine and some courage is going to kick the apple cart over, throw out the bad apples, and rebuild this pathetic government called the United States. And I'm so proud of Donald Trump. Already some of you are going like, I don't think I want to have coffee with that guy anymore. <laughs> or if I said, I deeply regret that Hillary Clinton was not elected. Because if she were, America would be so much better. We would love one another. There would be no problems with minority groups. The blacks would love the whites. The whites would love the blacks. The blacks would love the Hispanics. The Hispanics would like the Puerto Ricans. And we would hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And it would be wonderful. And we'd we'd have rainbow banners everywhere and life would be great in America and Muslims would love us they just Islam is our friend it would be beautiful right I'm really exaggerating to make the point here people okay you're rolling your eyes Uh, well all of a sudden like I don't be friends with that guy right Paul said regarding people with radically different opinions proslambano accept each other and accept each other at mealtime And especially, Gordon, at the Lord's Supper table. Because that's a really powerful place to break fellowship with somebody. Now watch what he does. Accept one another. Just as Christ also, Praslambano, also accepted you. There's the principle. Paul is saying, when it comes to you establishing a moral compass socially, you need to remember that as Jesus Christ accepted you openly at the dinner table, you are openly accepted uh, to take the Lord's Supper, that that same sense of grace and mercy should be extended to your brothers and sisters in Christ, even when you disagree with them about matters of, of things that are, that are weak or strong, things sacrificed, idols, whatever the issue may be. Uh, by the way, are there things biblically that Christians separate on? Oh, yes. 
we covered that a couple, a couple of Sundays ago, that there are actually lots of scriptures in the New Testament that say uh, there are certain Christians you should avoid. You literally break fellowship. And it even spells it out. You don't even eat with them. There are some Christians who are such troublemakers and they're so divisive, they're gossips, they, they cause trouble in churches. Paul says, and if they bring in a false gospel, you break fellowship with them. So there is a point in which we do draw the line. All right, Just like a woman can draw the line in marriage, Paul said a Christian can draw the line on another Christian. But when it comes over those matters that are not necessarily essential, wine, a meat, meat sacrificed to idols, dietary regulations, vegetarian diets uh, that Paul references, no, accept each other, just like Christ accepted you. All right? Now let's drop down to verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the Holy Spirit. This is, uh, this is called a wish prayer. It's a, type of, it's a type of prayer that oftentimes writers would, in, would engage in, Matt, as you're finishing out a letter, as though you're trying to invoke God to bless and bring something really essential and good about in your audience that you're, you're writing to. This is exactly what Paul is doing and, because this is prayer language. Now may, now may the God of hope. It's prayer language. And the verb, uh, may the God of hope fill, the word fill, uh, pleroma, uh, it, it, means to, it means to fill. Uh, can you imagine if I, if I go to, to Matt and say, Matt, I got some, some coffee, and he starts to pour it, and he fills it to the top. Pleroma, the way it's used here, the verb, he keeps pouring. In fact, it comes out over the cup, and is on the floor. He continues to pour. He won't stop pouring. And he's literally flooding the little cafe area with coffee because he is filling up. Pleroma is a very powerful verb, and the idea is abundance. It goes beyond the boundaries. It's spilling over the cup. Paul is saying that it's an optative verb. It's a wish. It's a prayer. This is Paul's heart. By the way, an interesting comment. Pop quiz, you ready, my scholarly friends? Paul did side. You get the weak and the strong. Who did Paul side with? Pop quiz. Strong. Absolutely. Thank you, Terry. Navy guy. Go Navy. He sides with the strong. He's the one that said, hey, we know there's no such thing as an idol. We know that. It's just me. Paul sides with the strong. But notice in his prayer, he doesn't bring it up. In other words, his prayer covers both the strong and the weak. He's not choosing sides at this point. Men, there's some leadership wisdom in that. Ladies, there's some leadership wisdom in that. That we know how to, we know when to not take a side. Now may the God of hope fill you. Uh, what is hope? I mentioned oppression earlier. Uh, there, is a, there is a psychological state that a human being can get to when they lose hope. From a clinical perspective, that's very dangerous. Can anybody tell me why? What, what starts to make sense when you've lost hope? Suicide. Suicide, absolutely. Uh, there are, boy, Thanksgiving to December and January, usually more suicides than any other time of year because people have lost hope. 
And those two big power holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, which are all about family and the Hallmark movies, there's a plethora. Does anybody know what the word plethora means? Uh, just a bunch of Hallmark movies out there, and it's all about family, and the single women get the date, and they fall in love with Mr. Wright, and the poor single guy that just can't seem to get a date somehow gets the date, and it's a beautiful, loving, happy ending story, you know, always. And those things load up in the key family holidays, and then January sits in, sets in, and a lot of people can become very hopeless. They lose hope. And when you've lost hope, you can spin into some ideas that are very, very dangerous. And you can do some things that hurt you, hurt other people. All right. Hope is a, a sacred gift. It's something that, that, that we as Christians have that we should fight for. So let's get into this just a bit, okay? Habe theos te elpidos. Elpidos is hope. Now, the God of hope. This is the only time in the entire New Testament where God is given the title, the God of hope. The only time. There it is, the God of hope. The only time you're going to read it. Play Roma, this, this form. May he fill you, you all. Humas, that is plural. Guess what? Hope is our responsibility. Hope is not something you pursue on your own, if you're a Christian, that you try to tease out and settle up on your own. It is something we absolutely share. There's a corporate sense in which we hope. And so may the God of hope fill all y'all, which is perfect Greek. May the God of hope fill y'all, all y'all with all joy and peace. Now check this out. Pistuo, the verb to believe. Faith, there's, you know, I don't want to come up with some conditions to, to make you feel like, oh boy, here we go, more rules. But I'm telling you, without faith, it all falls apart, okay? It is faith that unlocks the joy and peace. It is faith that unlocks the joy and peace that comes out of hope. We have to be people who believe and who settle up that there's something beyond us. And we've made the conclusions, we have made the conclusions that there is a God. He created the heavens and the earth. His son, Jesus Christ, is the way, is the truth, is the life. And by faith in him, we can experience this thing called the new birth. And we have hope that Jesus Christ is coming back. And Davy is going to clean up the mess that George Bush made. Was that safe to say George Bush? Is that okay? <laughs> that Ronald Reagan made, that Hillary could have made, that Trump is making, or maybe is going to make. It doesn't matter. The mess, North Korea, intercontinental ballistic missiles. Boy, that's scary. Okay? The mess we people make. Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to right the wrongs and he's going to set up a reign. And when heaven collapses in on earth, the new heaven and the new earth, it is going to be amazing. And we have hope. If you lose sight of that, life can get really, really dark. But we have to settle up believing. Okay? Can I give you something real quick I want you to nail down? You have got to settle up 
whether or not you think Jesus Christ is your example. You've got to settle that by faith. Just how much of an example is Jesus? Is he enough to go to church? Is that it? Is that as far as it goes? You know, you know who the CEOs are? CEOs in church, they're Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> yeah, you know, every church has their CEOs. What kind, of, what kind of an example did Jesus set, and how seriously do we take that? For Paul, it's everything. Life is the pursuit of the imitation of Jesus Christ. And when you settle up on your belief and your core convictions, in this instance, it unlocks joy and peace, and you're able to experience the God of hope. But if you think Jesus is not an example worth following, men, regarding your marriage, wives, you know, hoopastasso, sure, submit to your husband, you got it. Husbands, love your wives, how? How's that for an example? Wow, now, is men, you going to take that one seriously? Or, or is Jesus, you better. <laughs> I know, yeah, the high bar. Yeah, yeah. So, but is Jesus just enough to go to church on, but not enough to change your marriage? You've got to settle up on on the belief. Why? Because something is unlocked so that you will now abound. There's that word again. It's another word that means the river's overflowing its banks. It's we've got more than enough that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just a word about the Holy Spirit. We're digging in on that on Wednesday nights, on Jesus' own teaching on the Holy Spirit. I, I want you to be a part of that. But I want you to know it is in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can start experiencing this amazing hope. And this hope is so real that when you have a hard time making your mortgage payment or your car breaks down again and the child the baby's got an, another cold and it means snotty noses and tears and more loss of sleep and the IRS wants their share their lion's share of the taxes again and it goes on and on in the threat of, of possibly losing a job or you need to get a third job to try to make this thing work or the fact is you're so lonely in your bones it's hard to get up in the morning you just battle with loneliness and it's hard. You've got to understand it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that you have an ability to take all this stuff between your ears that's been crowding your mind and get it all pushed aside and remember there is a God who answers prayer. There is a God who loves you. There is a God that really does have an amazing plan for your life. There is such a thing as hope. All the wrongs in the world will one day be righted. Good is coming. We are not promised heaven on earth. And you need to adjust. Western materialism can be toxic. Western materialism can be toxic. Because we want our Christmas. We want heaven now. No, we're not going to get it now. We have hope that it's coming. But not yet. And if, and if that puts you in depression, into in state of depression, you, hey, you can't make God out to be uh, a welfare God, the cosmic Santa Claus dishing out whatever you want. That's not how it works. 
right? There is a waiting period. One day we will have heaven collapse in on the earth. A new heaven and a new earth. But we have to wait. And it's in the power of the Spirit that we can bear up under persecution. We can bear up under suffering. We can be like Paul and, and endure the cold nights, the stonings, the rejection, the being accused of this, accused of that. And we can endure and be the light of the world and the salt of the earth because we have hope. Uh, one of the professors that's had a big impact on me, Cranfield, says this regarding hope, that when Christians gather together and they have hope, that is actually something that separates them from the pagans, from the pagan non-believers who do not have hope. We have something very, very special. So let me read a couple of other passages from uh, the New Testament about hope to encourage you. I, I, think, I think it'll be, it'll be helpful for you. Paul writes in Romans 5, we exult in hope in the glory of God. In Romans 8, for in hope we've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what, is already, what he already sees? And that's the point of hope. You're believing in something that you can't see. Wednesday night, I, I went in depth about uh, uh, a function of our brains called object permanence. Object permanence. And how object permanence gives you the ability to believe something is real that you can't see. For example, have you ever played peekaboo with a baby or a little toddler? It really is hilarious. It works. And when they can't see your face, you know, the FFA, fusiform face area, part of the brain that works to let you recognize a face, it's very immature in the, in the toddler brain. And so when you cover your face, it's like you don't exist. Oh, you're gone. Where are you? And you go, beep, boo. And they go, oh, there you are. And they laugh. Well, it not only works one time, Bruce, it keeps working. It keeps working. Like, where'd you go? There you are. Oh, happy again, you know. It's like if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. Well, that's a baby brain. If you can't see it, it doesn't exist. We, assuming our brains are healthy and functioning, we have object permanence. We've developed that skill, that cognitive ability to realize there are things that we cannot see, but they still exist. Can you imagine? What if we settle up on love? That we are loved, regardless of how we look, Regardless of how much money's in the bank, pick, pick the issues. I don't care what they are. We are loved. And someone that we cannot see loves us. Someone that we cannot see gives us the basis for hope because we know one day dad's coming home. <clears throat> that long journey, all the parables, the master of the house will come home and there will be an account. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to all be reconciled. Jackson. Yes, and that's the whole point. And that's why there's a growing kind of atheism or even a growing kind of agnosticism with Christians. Or those who claim to be Christians anyway. Religious people. Yeah, they can't say them in, in American culture. We're, we're not just postmodern, we're post-Christian as a culture. And so it makes more and more sense to just kind of write God out of the narrative. Exactly, exactly. 
Romans 12, we rejoice in hope. Um, Ed, you and I talked some time ago about this. There's a verse that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 that I cannot get past spiritually. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. And the greatest of these is love. I, I, it, to me, that's just life-changing. Faith, hope, and love, uh, to me, keeps me sane. Beautiful. One final verse, I'll turn it over to you. 1 John 3, 3, regarding Christ's coming. Everyone who has this hope, he's going to come back. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Can you imagine, ladies, I know sometimes at your house, you are deeply emotionally attached to your house. And if you have someone over for dinner, the house has to be clean. Because if the house is not clean, somehow you're a bad human being. And, and that would be awful. And so you have to have a clean house, and the meal has to be beautiful, because you somehow are your house, and you are the meal as is presented. Um, can you imagine if you settled the belief that Jesus Christ is coming, and when he shows up and knocks on the door, <laughs> what kind of shape should you be in? Does it make sense? So John writes, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he's pure. We get ready for him when he comes home. And he is coming home. He is. Christ will come back. So, all right, you are the gifted body of Christ. I want you to speak. You're welcome to ask questions. But particularly, I want you to speak from your spiritual gifts. And I want you to take ownership of this thing called hope. And I want you to understand, what if there was somebody here right now who really battled depression? And they felt like it's a dark hole and they can't hardly crawl out of it. And they've lost sight of hope. What are you going to say to them? I want you to own this thing. This is corporate. Hope is a corporate thing. The power of the Holy Spirit is a corporate thing. This isn't going all spooky kooky and getting slain in the spirit, which oftentimes is just more of a psychological manifestation of our own our own junk. We're talking about the Holy Spirit producing something in you that you can't do on your own. We're talking hope, joy, peace. We're talking faith. You are the body of Christ. His Spirit is in you. Ladies, we learned from last Sunday, and not that you needed me to tell you this, you already knew it, Right? The same Holy Spirit that fills a male and gifts a male is the same Holy Spirit that fills and gifts a female. The Holy Spirit is not a respecter of gender. It doesn't matter. And Jet, the way you led the Lord's Supper last Sunday was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. You are the body of Christ. Take ownership. Why does this matter? How do we live this out? Romans 5, 7 to 13. This may be a dumb question, but what is Faith and hope, they seem really similar. So what, what's the difference? Absolutely. There's not much of a difference. Pistuo and El they're very similar, uh, Marianne. Simply put, hope is the idea that there's something I'm expecting. And by the way, in classical usage, you could expect something bad to happen or something good to happen. And one's called anxiety, by the way. And the other one is called hope. I just know something bad's going to happen. That's called anxiety, by the way. Uh, but the belief that something good is coming. And I have a reason to get up in the morning. 
have a reason to be happy. Uh, it produces gratefulness. Because, you know, something good's coming. Uh, I hope it doesn't rain today, you know, or uh, this idea of God literally redeeming creation through His Son, Jesus Christ, right? Faith is very similar. It's I believe. So I understand it as this. Faith is the core idea of something we cannot see. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Faith is the substance of things not seen. How's that for object permanence, by the way? And hope is the fruit of that. So Marian is kind of like their brother and sister. You get faith, it helps you to have hope. They're very related. Faith is the root, hope is the flower. You're the body of Christ, own this thing. How do we live? Colby? Well, how do we live? I, I, maybe I can't answer that. I can speak to some other questions you've asked. Um, there's one thing I'm good at, and that's kind of jumping to the end of a matter. One thing I'm not good at is what's, what's the... Proslomano. Yep, very good. Accepting. Well, it says accept one another. This is a loaded statement going way back. Way back. And it, and, it, and actually it reaches way forward because it's exactly where we find ourselves. Um, I find myself here to accept others. Well, it's real easy to divide everybody into camps. Me versus you, us versus them, you're other, you're different, you know, whatever basis you put that on. But here it's not, it's not saying accept one another as Jesus Christ accepted. It's more. And and that's that's where I'm I'm working on that. It's a work in progress. But Jesus accepted us and we like to think that Jesus just did that because Jesus is pretty cool. You know, I mean, the song says, Jesus is just all right for me. You know, I mean, <laughs> sorry, it was going back. But he accepted us to the glory of God. And I think that's where we get real messed up, is because we try to establish what is the glory of God in us versus them, me versus you. And it's, it's not about that at all. It's... And it's really about trying to understand what does it mean, the glory of God. And I think that that takes that takes us and, and knocks us off our stool of superiority. Because if you, any one of us, can determine what is to the glory of God, then I'm just, <laughs> hey, you got it. But I don't think any one of us has the proprietary ownership of that. And Jesus understood that. And, and it, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's where we get all messed up around the, the details is because if you ate that meat, that didn't bring glory to God. Well, how do you know? Or, you know, if, if you drank that wine, that doesn't bring glory to God. And it's, it's all of a sudden what is glory to God is you have to look like me and act like me. And that doesn't bring God glory. Well spoken, Colby. Yeah, I think you're getting at a lot of ego involved in this stuff, huh? Yeah. Which church is better, how they do the programs, what pastor, you know. I mean, we got ego all over this thing. And we love to be right. Ooh, and, and you know, it's fun when you get to prove somebody wrong, right? And a little glory in that, right? Yeah, it's a real issue, core, core selfishness. 
it's a problem. And yet, isn't it interesting, Colby, that Jesus Christ, here we are setting the example, at the age of 12, settled it. I'm going to be about my father's business. It's going to be out of his glory. From here on out, it's all him. And look what happened. This is good. Keep going. Take ownership of this. Why does this matter? I like uh, the... When you mentioned about when Christ comes back, how is he going to find us? Mm-hmm. Ready? Ready or not. Uh, and, and you use the uh, analogy of how a woman is so defined by her home and, and, and the condition of that home. And I, I'm, I'm going to say I'm kind of proud of, well, I'm really proud of my wife because in a way this is kind of unusual to say, but it's because she doesn't feel that yeah. pressure, her home doesn't. The condition of our house doesn't define yeah. our value. Yeah. Um, we have people over all the time. And usually um, we kind of have this little secret thing, I think, where we don't want to like uh, impress people too much because... Yeah then, like, they'll feel the pressure to be, like, all together like we are, and we're not, <laughs> ever, you know? So, I think we're all a bunch of broken people, aren't we? I've seen my job. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, just, I mean, that, that's the only reason that we can have people over so much, is there's not any expectation. Absolutely. We wear that kind of yeah. pressure. So. Yeah. But I, I was thinking about how, do, how would I want Jesus to find me in that? I don't want him, I mean, unless it's just for a small part of my day, to find me in my rocking chair. <laughs> Drinking my coffee as I as I become so together for him, I want him to find me with sweat on my brow, really dirty hands as I labor for him. Yes, yes, good and faithful and servant. Yes, I would rather him come and see me in the midst of it, like a clean, I don't know, uh, like a dirty barn that's being used. Yes, you know, instead good of one that's child. all well prepared. Uh, good work, Chad. Marianne, you have Christ esteem and not house esteem. Thank you. What a testimony. So, someone else. Uh, yes. Um, so he's talking internally here, except one another. Mm-hmm. Then he expands it out. He goes back to something that, that they that they know historically. Uh, that's not really internal. You have uh, the Jews who Jew Gentiles, special people. They were chosen, um, but yet all throughout.
the bachelorette party at the center of the universe, and they have these mobile bars that you get on and you pedal. So there's all these girls in scantily clad clothes, and I felt like doing this with Isaac, and you know, constantly like, oh my gosh, what is going on? But there's these groups, and they're pedaling around in these mobile bars with music blaring, having a, a great time. We're on the main strip, and one of them is at a stoplight getting ready to turn left. They're about to pass the street preacher who is preaching hellfire condemnation on everybody. And as they pass by, I'm sorry, it wasn't one of those bars, it was a party bus with the top cut off, with a girl dancing on the top, so it's even worse than the most bar. But anyway, so they're up there. They see we got the image. He sees them, and there's this point of contact, and he's like, oh, he's got some fodder to work with, and he starts condemning. And these girls are yelling back and pointing down at him. And as the bus goes by, over the loudspeaker, he's like, that's what's wrong with this country today. And I thought, like, it is. I mean, it's part of it. But I mean, how else are they going to act? And I think even here, he, Paul, as Paul is going back to the Gentiles, he's not saying, accept the sin of the Gentiles, but accept them knowing that it's only by God's mercy and grace that we were also accepted and included in yeah. How yeah. is that even possible for the chosen people? Yeah. Yeah. But, and us as believers, so if we would just, I think this applies to us today in our sure. culture to say, look, yeah, these people are broken just like we are, just like we were. We're, we have stepped into a transformative relationship with Jesus, and we are on the mend, yeah. and they just haven't yet. But that's yeah. why he came. That's why he shed his yes. blood. Yes. And if we lose sight of that, they become the enemy. <clears throat> We become the ones who have the yes. fingers pointed out. Yes. I think this applies to us. How do we as the body operate yes. in our yeah. compassion without losing sight of sin yeah. in our culture? That's so good, Guy. And let me develop this and I wanna I wanna finish this out. Guy's on to something. You know, he, he referenced Romans two. You just did, you didn't know, did you? No, I didn't <laughs> the very thing you condemn yes, is the very thing you do. That's Romans 2, right? Romans 12 uh, and, uh, and even in 14. You guys had plenty of time for your party life. You were once the children of darkness. You were once engaged in all manner of evil and wickedness. He saved you out of that, right? We need, sometimes we need to look backwards and remember and get a little dose of humility, right? Okay. Because we're, we're on the mend. Now let's apply that inside the church. Do you realize right now in a crowd of this size, I bet someone didn't have their quiet time last week. You haven't touched a Bible all week long. Shame, shame, shame. But I have had my quiet time every day. And therefore I am better than you. Right? Don't we do that in church? Sometimes we do it without doing it, but we somehow do it, and, and we even internal judgment where we're comparing. It's not just we compare ourselves to the lost world, we do it with ourselves, the same mess. Proslambano, accept each other, and love one another. Now I want to point out, yes, go ahead. Yes, isn't that beautiful? Uh, I learned a long time ago, Sissy, I make a lousy Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> just doesn't go well. <laughs> My marriage, it doesn't matter. I'll, there are two people I want to I wanna give attention to right now. My, my, my British brother, James. James is battling stage four cancer. Do you think he should possess hope? My dear brother here, Lynn, lost a daughter just a few months ago, also known as Sunshine. And I, and I listen, that lady had Sunshine coming off her elbows. I've been with her, and she literally would light up a room. Freak accident, the unthinkable happens, happens she's dead. Does Lynn have hope? He and his wife. We do. Lynn has hope. Why? He's going to see her again. Lisa and I lost a baby. I know he's a boy. I just know he's a boy. <laughs> I just know it. I've got a son waiting on me. I've got hope. I'm going to see a boy. I've got hope. There may be a situation going on in your life you have not told anybody and it robs you of hope. It's like it emotionally cuts you and bleeds you out and you move toward hopelessness, which is going to push you awfully close to depression and some really, really scary things. I want to encourage you before you leave today to let someone pray with you about that. Okay? To get, get a shoulder up under that thing and, and, and bear that load. Okay? Because sometimes... Life is hard. It's, it's a kick in the teeth, and it's worse than that. It, it continues to be a kick in the teeth. And the back. And everywhere else. It just hurts. Life can be hard. You know, you get married, and you have all these expectations, right? You just happen to marry the perfect spouse. And then on day two, they have bad breath. And they didn't put the lid down, and... and it just spins out of control from there. And you, you thought, you thought you made a good decision, you know. And, uh, or she doesn't cook like mom cooks or, or whatever the case may be. And sometimes you feel like you're trapped in a marriage that's gutted you. It's gutted you. And you don't know what to do with it. And you've got these core convictions that I'm supposed to love my spouse and honor my vows but I'm dying inside. And I'm looking at being miserable for the rest of my life. And I don't find hope in that. You need this today. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I commented to Stephen about worship. Verses 8 to 12 are a core theology about worship. And the idea that there's a God worthy of praise and that we can join in song and sing. Do you realize David himself, who battled depressive tendencies, it's all there. You don't have to read Hebrew, it's all there in English. David really struggled with depression and anxiety. David said, it's when I was in the house of God that I discovered hope. And he would be renewed in worship. I want you to get your hearts ready. Whether you're battling terminal illness whether you've lost the love of your life to death, whether you feel like, wow, I'm married to this situation and there's no way out, or uh, you know, I, I, I miss some educational opportunities and I'm never going to do what I really want to do with my career, 
I'm single and I can't get a date, whatever it is, it, I don't care. You're not 6'5 and good looking, I, I don't know, whatever it is. And you feel like you've lost hope, I want you to remember that sometimes there are things discovered in the Spirit in worship that you'll get nowhere else. You're not going to discover it anywhere else. So, I want to pray for you. Stephen and the team are going to come get ready to, to lead us. Uh, Abba Father, Lord, all of us here have those things in our lives that threaten to rob us of hope. And I ask that we would settle up on Jesus, our example, that we'd settle up on this idea that we've got to believe and we've got to face our doubts. We have to settle up on who Jesus is, the true Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, and that through that you can unlock hope and joy and peace in us, and we can step back and somehow see the bigger picture. Thank you that Lynn's going to see his precious baby girl. And Manny's going to be more beautiful than, than ever. This is real. We have object permanence. Even if we can't see it, it's real. Teach us about the sanity of faith and hope and love. Please. Lord, for the person that needs to discover something that you only give through your spirit and worship, would you let it happen now, please? In Jesus' name, amen.